All right. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. This is the Sunday Wire. We're streaming out live on the alternate current radio network.com and also at 21stCenturyWire.com. And a great segment with our previous guest from 21 Wire, Vanessa Bealy. Uh, thank you for her input. It's always valuable and it's always uh, in depth, insightful analysis. And uh, for more insightful analysis, but before actually, before I introduce our next guest, uh, a big shout out uh, to everybody uh, who has uh, has responded to the call. We've just launched 21wire.tv a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this is a members-only site. Uh, we're going to be populating this with premium content for members only, uh, and this is going to happen over the next weeks and months. And uh, we've got a members-only newsletter, uh, special personal thing that I'm writing for our members uh, every fortnight. It's a little bit. It's going to come out a little bit late this week, but we've also got uh, a, a new members podcast. Uh, I'll say the name of it because uh, I'll let I'll let people know it's going to be on the QT, on the QT at twenty one wire TV. That rhymes, Mike. It does. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> on the QT for members only. Okay, so if you watch Pulp Fiction on the QT, uh, that's for members only. And that's going to be we'll, we'll have a little bit up on ACR. Uh, we'll we'll put the first uh, half hour uh, for free uh, for the public. But after that, it's going to be members only. It's going to be a ninety minute program starting fortnightly. Uh, it could be more uh, depending on uh, how we you know how we do in terms of managing the production of that and some of the other new things that we're putting out. Plus, Mike, uh, we're also going to put out for our members only uh, a sneak preview of Insight. The first episode that that we produced together, uh, yes. which is about the battle for Eurasia, uh, great program came out really well. How's the feedback been with with your members on that? Uh, the feedback has been extremely positive so far, and uh, it's very. I think it's quite insightful. Um, no pun intended. I mean, it's called insight, but it is. It does do what it says on the tin. Well, that that's the aim, and it, and it is. It's great to get the opportunity to. to go into these subjects in much greater depth than we otherwise can. Yeah, yeah. And we had Alex Thompson and Eric Zeus, yes. uh, who's a notable commentator from, from the States. Yes. Great program. And we got a couple of more. You'll be rolling out in succession. Uh, but, it's, you know, very interesting. And it, it just it does really what it says in the title. We don't get a chance to go that deep on a single issue. Mm. And so this is one hour dedicated with multiple commentators world-renowned analysts in some cases, uh, looking at a single particular issue. It's, it's great. It's a great opportunity. It is a great opportunity, and it's, it's, it's going to be a great format as, as, we, as we move through the next weeks and months. It's going to be good fun producing it. Yeah, and so that'll be – we'll have that up for members only at 21wire.tv, probably Monday or Tuesday, hopefully uh, by the end of Monday, but if not, Tuesday. Uh, and so that's going to be up there for you to view if you are a member. So if you want to get involved, support what we do, click on that member banner right now. Uh, on the show page here at the Sunday Wire, uh, but also there's links as well if you scroll down in the margins at 21st Century Wire. Uh, members only join, support us. Uh, we're trying to build uh, more for our members and more for our general viewers. Uh, we'll have a lot of free stuff, of course, for everybody, so we're not going to rope off our content. Uh, whatever's members eventually will be visible uh, for non-members, but only uh, after a period of time. So uh, this is what we uh, want to offer. So 
Right now, uh, we're going to connect our next guest. Uh, he is a commentator and uh, newly uh, appointed uh, roving democracy correspondent uh, for the Sunday Wire. And uh, he's been keeping an eye on a potential outbreak of democracy in Britain uh, recently with the fervor of the E referendum. Basil Valentine is his name. Basil, are you there? Good to be with you, Patrick. There he is. Great signal, great sound. Uh, a little more bass in your voice this week than last week. So is that because uh, you've been doing the vocal exercises, or is this a better... Yes, that too. Yes, that too, Patrick. Yes. And this is a... Or always, this... always working on the voice, I am. Because you are a singer, uh, and a lot of people I don't. I'm a singer. I'm also thinking of becoming a voiceover artist. I think you do very well in that in that department, actually. It's 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 very lucrative, too, if you can get in the uh, animation yeah. business. Yeah. Or you have your own video game. Um, now, Basil, the whole Brexit thing has taken a very, we've talked about it in this show for the last couple of hours, but a very odd turn, uh, to say the least, last Thursday night. Were you watching this, or what were your initial thoughts? How do you, how has this thing played out? What are your thoughts and observations on the, uh, the Joe Cox Brexit uh, situation? Um, well, to be honest, for initially just out of horror, um, at uh, the senseless murder of, of somebody. Um, it, it appeared that it was the story was completely genuine. There was no sort of possibility that this was some another kind of hoax or something. Um, and then the uh, perpetrator, of course, was quite quickly identified as having shouted Britain first or something like that uh, immediately prior to attacking her. Um, the timing is extraordinary. A week before the referendum with the Remain camp basically in full retreat. All the momentum is with Brexit. The polls are starting to show Brexit five or six points ahead, even up to ten points ahead. Um, and uh, there's no enthusiasm behind the Remain camp at all. So you know, extraordinary things could be on the horizon. Yeah. And but so, and so, no. So they've suspended campaigning. Uh, I, I don't know if we know if the vote. Is that's gonna, already over. That's the, the vote. Is the vote going to go uh, as scheduled or oh, yes. delayed? Yeah. yeah, no. Vote goes ahead as scheduled. Yes. And, and the the funeral. Uh, I don't know if you can confirm this or Mike or Basil. The funeral for Joe Cox. I, I assume is going to be on the eve or the day of the Brexit referendum. Is that that's, is that right? There was an event for her today, actually. I don't know whether it was the funeral I'll find out for you, but there was there was a memorial event already today. Mm-hmm. So, uh, okay. So that was fast. It's normally uh, six days or something like that, isn't it? Or I don't know what the rules are for, for funerals or anything like that, but, <laughs> um, but I don't know. It's normally something like inside of just inside a week normally. I'm not sure. But... Uh, so it's extraordinary. The timing of it is, I dare say, extraordinary. Un- uncanny. That's extraordinary, yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, it's changed the whole national conversation, uh, and it's changed the tone. Uh, it's changed the direction of this event. Um, you know, we believe that whether the public voted to to remain or to leave, uh, it's, they're still not leaving the EU. Even if they, if they did get a leave vote, um, Britain's not. It can't leave the EU. Quite frankly, not for at least ten years. So uh, we we thought it's kind of a, a psyop in a way, um, 
in order to basically kick this can down the road indefinitely. Uh, this whole idea of, uh, of of an EU referendum or EU membership, or you know whether it's worth the money uh, to you know for the amount of money that that Britain contributes to the EU, are they getting back value for money? Uh, this sort of debate will will effectively end um, if there is a stay vote uh, and next week, and uh, the Prime Minister will say, "Well, the people have had their say, and uh, there will be nothing more about it." For the next 20 years, if they vote to leave, as Ireland did, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, Ireland voted to leave, and then they turned around and said, uh, actually, uh, we don't like that result, uh, let's vote again. And then they heavily, the heavy campaign in Ireland, and eventually the second vote, Mike, I think was to stay in the EU. Am uh, I correct? It was that, that was the referendum over whether Ireland would sign up to the Lisbon Treaty or not. Uh, so th- those were those two referendums. It wasn't about whether they were in or out. It was whether they were accept- ac- accepting the, the Lisbon Treaty, which is effectively the EU constitution. Okay. So so that's what happened in Ireland. So um, so putting that into perspective, Basil, uh, this is a game changer. Uh, I'm, I'm a little puzzled why uh, she was supposedly, you know, targeted. Was this a genuine accident? Uh, was there some nefarious forces behind the scenes here? Uh, it's very difficult yeah, to say. I wouldn't like. I wouldn't like to speculate. To be honest, Patrick. I mean, on one level, there's definitely dark forces behind the scenes because a woman was murdered in broad daylight, and uh, it appeared to have some sort of political motive. So, whoever's, do you know what I mean? Whatever the ultimate reality of the situation is, it's unfortunate that. We've seen a political murder on the streets of Britain for the first time in a very, very long while indeed. Uh, and that reflects the polarisation of opinion uh, to some extent between uh, a lot of people who see the Britain that they grew up in changing and dying effectively, changing out of all recognition, um, and then blaming politicians who they feel think won't be responsible for it. Now, this chap was mentally ill, but the narrative that's being played is that uh, he was uh, very bitter about uh, immigration into Britain and uh, and that's what motivated him and there's a picture of him behind some Britain First banner or something. And so he was also, what do you what do you make of the Southern Poverty Law Center coming up with the smoking gun? Isn't that incredible? Within 24 hours or whatever yes, it was? Yes, that is. Um, it's kind of amazing. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't expect them to be in the center of this. Um, so Why would they be? I, yeah. It's hard to say. And, and frankly, my personal belief, I don't believe it. The minute they got involved in this, I, I immediately smelled, or I could see, you could say you smelled a rat because the, the amount of other dubious uh, people and situations that they've been involved in, they're, they're uh, not completely respected as a legitimate uh, authority on uh, the hate crimes, I guess, issue in America. So to see them interfering or to see them playing the the, the leading role in providing the damning smoking gun for this uh, uh, assailant, uh, Mr. Mayor, uh, is incredible, quite frankly. I, I didn't expect to see that, and uh, it does make me a lot of questions come up after that. The, the convenience of it is pretty amazing. So I often wonder, uh, how can this be? It's incredible. 
But uh, so, a- any final words on this? Because it, it doesn't sound like well, we've talked about quite a lot of uh, aspects of this story so far. We've drilled into all these different areas. It's it is an amazing perfect storm or an imperfect storm, whichever way you want to look at it. But uh, Basil, do you have any? Well, it's fo- become very vitriolic. You know, people have taken very strong positions uh, on both sides with absolute conviction that they are 100% right, whether it's for the progressive cause or the environmental reasons or, you know, any other. The Leave campaign was painted into a corner early on and very closely associated with UKIP and Nigel Farage and with some degree of xenophobia. But more recently, people have become aware that there is also a progressive left stance against the EU, uh, which is, of course, you know, the thin end of the uh, global governance wedge, basically, you know. So a lot of people that I would have thought were a little bit more aware of what the implications actually are, um, are have been very quick to sign up for Remain, you know, because... It, it, they just want to be anti-Nigel Farage, anti-The Sun newspaper. and Oh, see? yeah. I mean, The Sun coming out, Mike, I mean, initially it looked like a move for Mur- 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 Murdoch, but they've got such a bad reputation as a, as, as a news organization. It's almost like The Sun coming out and saying Britain should leave, that would really spur on the uh, Remain camp uh, in you know, all university students and young uh, the millennials would automatically be in Remain at that point, many of them seeing Rupert Murdoch shilling for a Brexit. Isn't that kind of a bit of a, you know... Well, well the sun... The, the sun. Well, I just wanted to interject a quick one, which is uh, there's a there's a posting going around on uh, social media. Uh, why, why does Murdoch want to leave the EU? And he is putting uh, his papers very firmly behind leave, um, you know, with the big headline last week, calling for leave. Uh, and uh, anyway, the... Uh, but no more But no more headlines. But the epithet, anyway, the epithet is, uh, when asked why he wanted Britain to leave, he said, when I go to Downing Street, they do what I say. When I go to Brussels, nobody cares. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. But so is the timing of the Sun announcement, considering the events around it. But go ahead, Mike. Well, well the, sun, the Sun used to have... Uh, um, a, a reputation for influencing elections in the past, but that was pre the Levison inquiry and pre the the hacked off campaign and so on. Um, and uh, they perhaps did themselves a little bit of damage over uh, Hillsborough as well over the years. Uh, so so uh, they they don't have quite the the, the clout that the that they had at one stage. Um, so there was a very famous incident a number of years ago where where they um, uh swung a, a general election by by um uh having a the headline uh, um with the last person leaving britain please switch off the lights uh and that lost uh neil kinnock the labor party leader at the time the uh, the general election and we got more more tory government uh, at that stage but i don't know that they have the same the same influence that they had uh anymore so uh, not as much no but still, they're still influential, okay, but not as much, and maybe quite a lot less uh, than 20 years ago. Absolutely. So, um, but uh, you, Basil and Mike, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something that you'll find very shocking, which I just discovered last night uh, as I was walking 
home um, over the hoe at uh, at about midnight. I saw there were four youths coming towards me. There were students, and they were singing. They were singing an EU. They were drunk by themselves coming down a stairway singing an EU Remain song, a pub song. Like, uh, we need to remain. Uh, the EU is great. We're going to remain. I mean, literally singing. I couldn't believe it. Singing a song. Yeah, but they had to be drunk in order to do that. Maybe, but it was extraordinary because I just didn't realize that pub songs just manifest themselves and like there's remain songs and maybe leave songs as well. But it, so going back to what Basil said, you know, using Nigel Farage and uh, maybe the sort of uh, more divisive aspects of UKIP as a lightning rod for the opposition, um, this is also an effective strategy, isn't it? to put all the attention on personalities and cults of personalities and, and xenophobia. And th- there is a qu- quite a lot of uh, unanalytical xenophobia rhetoric going on around Muslims, uh, around terrorism, and uh, what's going on in France, for instance. And so, well, A lot of people uh, from the sort of center of the political spectrum to the left um, – are extremely confused and uh, a lot of them are going for remain um, out of a sort of general internationalism and opposition to characters like Farage and people like Murdoch and the the, uh, aspect of the leave camp that they think represents this sort of xenophobia and all the rest of it. So therefore the sort of cosmopolitan thing to do is to vote Remain. Um, but they're largely unaware of the plans that the EU has for itself over the next 10 years and the increasing federalization and the super state and then Turkey joining. And It's not like you're voting for a status quo or what we've had over the last 40 years. You're voting for something completely different if we stay in, which is the complete subjugation of... Uh, the will of the British people by a parliament that they've elected of their peers, um, complete subjugation of that chamber to uh, a European Union commission, which uh, is not elected and uh, that we can't change. And that was Tony Benn's fundamental argument. And uh, in that, he and Dennis Skinner has come out for leave as well. Uh, and in that respect, um, they are of the same mind as the right-wing leave campaign, which is that the fundamental principle of sovereignty and can you dismiss the people that are making your laws uh, or not? And if you can't dismiss the people who are making your laws, and if you don't have adequate redress of grievance, uh, which is another point that, you know, with the EU, it's very difficult to take a matter up with them if you've been done down by them in some way. There's no simple mechanism for simply contacting an MP or anything like that. So in these two key things, the sovereignty of the lawmaking um, and uh, redress of grievance, the EU is fundamentally lacking and takes rights away from the British people. And that's not, there's no argument about that. They say it might be relaxed about that and say that's fine and in effect nothing will be different, but uh, it is actually quite a significant thing. And I'm going to add to those two points, uh, Basil, that you just said. You know, and we had personal uh, 
chat with somebody recently who's doing business with Russia, and the sanctions came down, and that was his business kind of kaput, really, a British business, up-and-coming startup, you know, good, uh, promising business, could create jobs, great market, innovative, a new product, Mike. Mm. It's not something that's already on the shelf. It's not like training BMWs. This is a new innovative product, and basically he got sandboxed because of sanctions. And so he didn't have any say over that with regards to his MP or his representation. That was a decision made collectively by the European Commission uh, behind closed doors with Washington, and sanctions are decided and, and put in place and have great, grave economic effects on European businesses, whether they be in Spain or, or Germany. Right, and uh, um, I can't remember which, which newspaper it was today was, was highlighting uh, another example of this type of thing where uh, somebody that was uh, working in the health industry um, was uh, a directive came out. Uh, his business was basically uh, null and void from that point because the directive uh, prevented him from producing the products that he had been producing. But what the directive didn't do was prevent anybody from outside the EU importing the product into the EU. So so he was finding that, that companies that were from the United States uh, or from uh, non-EU countries were still allowed to sell that product into the EU, but he wasn't allowed to manufacture in the EU or sell from within the EU. So, so uh, um, and this comes back to Basil's point, there, there is no easy way to resolve that problem. And that, that, that's a case of uh, – that's regulation gone horribly wrong, and it's and a, a really good example of it. The other thing, Basil and Mike, that there people don't know whether they're vote- – and I'm not, I'm not going to make any uh, advocacy here of whether it's – you know, people should vote stay or remain. I'm trying to point out things that are not being talked about in the media. One of them is the EU army. And do people know that, uh, that this is coming down the pipeline this is this is not far away. If not, it's already being formed. And do they realize that not only is the issue, the issue of national sovereignty, or guys, but national defense? Do, do they are they willing to make that to devolve that level of power to Brussels? And that's the question I'm going to throw. I'll throw your way, Mike, first. Well, uh, uh, initially, um, people are becoming aware, particularly in the last few weeks, because the Daily Express is, is mentioning this um, on front pages and so on. After we've been banging on about uh, ab- it. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, w- of course, they are using the, the words EU army. And, and the point that, that uh, some of the people that are working with us are making is this is not just about the army. This is EU military, so it's all services. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and the other uh, thing, well, the, the thing which isn't being mentioned at this point is that in order to uh, finance an EU army you need an EU treasury so so actually the EU is already talking about uh, this this next level of federalization Basil's mentioned that already uh, this evening so so um, it this is and, and you know as we've been highlighting for for uh, several months now uh, the the way that the various uh, nations military, uh, defense reviews have been done. Uh, each country in the EU has found their 
their their military infrastructure being cut back as a result of austerity in particular areas, um, and none of those areas overlap. So so it's clear that this policy for for an, uh, an integrated EU military has been has been there for a long time because because there's been coordination between the various nations and the way that they are the way are, that they are uh, cutting back uh, various sections of the military, uh, leaving behind. Um, uh, an area f- uh, that that uh, uh, means that they would provide a particular uh, component component. Yes, yeah. that's the word. Thank you of of the overall military structure. At the end of the day, ba- Basil, what are your feelings on this? Uh, have you ever thought about this? Or come across it yet? Well, it's a natural development, really, of the you know cooperation between the member states of the EU, it's a perfectly natural progression. And for the Remainers, I think they'll see it as a positive step because it means, obviously, we're not going to go to war with any of these people. You know, with with each other, at least, yeah. With each other, we're not going to go to war with our neighbours, you know. And uh, obviously, we all realise that's a good thing and we want, you know, we all want that, you know. But it doesn't necessarily have to be achieved via the European Union. Mm-hmm. Um, people talk about voting to leave the European Union as leaving Europe, you know, as if Britain's going to be left drift across the North Atlantic. But, but if, you, if you think of it, as it's going to immediately, Mike and Basel, supplant NATO immediately once that takes shape, okay? So it will be not just about European defense. It will be about European military missions deployed in Afghanistan, deployed in Southeast Asia, deployed in Africa, deployed in the Middle East, deployed wherever, right? This is this is the reality of it. When you have something that big, that well funded put together, it's going to be deployed. It's not clear it's not clear whether supplant is the right word just yet. Uh, last week um, the NATO held the defense ministers meeting um, which is uh, a kind of pre uh, a kind of pre meeting towards the uh, the NATO summit, which is happening in Warsaw in July, um, and this was this exact question: the relationship between the uh, NATO, between NATO and the European Union uh, was was one of the key talking points. Uh, now I haven't I haven't heard exactly. I don't think they have announced uh, what what agreements have been made there, but that that is the relationship the the coming relationship between. The integrated EU military and NATO is is a key discussion point and probably will be at the uh, at the NATO summit in July. Well, think of, think about this. Let, let's take a step back and look at the big picture. How who planned and who conceived the European Union and the European the EC? It was planned and by a small group of people. And history shows, Mike and I think uh, Alex Thompson pointed this out. Uh, Red Car and Bilderberg and some of these other multilateral, let's call them, uh, organizations and uh, reports, uh, and also German German intelligence and the BND and people like this at the center of the formation of the plans of the EU. Okay, Now, that was post-World War II. This was the late 40s, early 50s. What else was created at that time? NATO was created, North Atlantic Treaty Organization. So if you look at NATO, could easily be it, it, kind of a, a proxy of it really is kind of the EU military but with with a big US sponsorship obviously steering it and directing it and dominating it but NATO being based here in Europe in Brussels where the EU is based there's no coincidence that they're in the same place right 
No, but I think the key difference is that, that, that NATO is still a treaty organization between sovereign nations. But, whereas, o- but whereas, only in name. Yeah. Yes, yeah. But, but, the, but the EU military integration is going to be formal federalist military integra- integration. And this will bind Europe together in, in a new way yeah. that hasn't been bound before, right? Yeah. And I think this once that that's a big threshold to cross. And the, the, this is why I think it's important because once you cross that threshold. It's very it, hard to come back from it's, that. It's almost impossible. That is, you know, so people are thinking, oh, we'll be able to wiggle out of it in the future. And, hey, if it, if we go bankrupt by the EU or in the Eurozone, uh, we can just leave. Not when you have an integrated military uh, uh, structure. Mm. It's not that easy. No. This is why U.S. states just can't secede willy-nilly <laughs> because they're, one's making Apache helicopters, the other's making rockets, uh, launchers, the other's making cruise missiles. The other have military bases doing infantry training. They're literally, the, the interdependency system in America is completely, you know, all pervasive. That That is the key word, interdependence. Yeah. Uh, nobody is independent. Everyone is interdependent. We have to rely on everybody else or we can't exist. And and that, that reliance uh, is is key to holding the thing together. Yeah, that's why I think it's big a big story. Yeah. And, and this is precisely probably why it's not being talked about. Mm-hmm. So... But um, we're going to wrap up in a minute, Basil. But uh, you know, have you got anything else you want to share with us or comment on, uh, either here on this side of the pond or, or over in the American side? Well, as you know, it's a week, Patrick, since the Orlando shootings, which uh, completely dominated the news for the first half of the week on both sides of the Atlantic. And um, we talked about it very briefly on last week's show. And the first thing I said was. Uh, Oh, I think people have been killed here. This, you know, this is for real. Um, and then you have videos popping up on the internet showing bodies being carried back towards the nightclub. Towards the nightclub. Yeah, I saw, I saw those. That was interesting. So they were carrying the bodies towards the nightclub in front of cameras. And somebody else being loaded into the back of a pickup truck and a rack yeah, I saw that. triage or ambulances. Do you know what I mean? The usual sort of... You know, we're presented with a fait accompli. This is what has happened. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And uh, as each outrage is bigger and uglier than the last, it, 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 there's a tendency to think, oh, well, this must be for real this time. You know? Yeah. Well, that's the uh, natural. This is uh, this is the world of mass delusionment uh, and uh, and working crowds. Uh, this is this uh, seems to be what's going on. Uh, at least from a casual observation, uh, a lot of manipulation going on in terms of public opinion. Uh, of course, the gun agenda, Basil, came in hard and fast on the heels of the Orlando shooting. I mean, oh, yeah. it, it didn't even yeah. take less than 24 hours. And then they were filibustering. Did you see that? Did you see them filibuster? I mean, Mike, is that 14 and a half hours? That was impressive. Yeah, for to do for something. For one man, 14 and a half hours. To do something. We need to do something. We need to act now. Mm. Orlando happened. Can, I give, you a, can yeah. I give you a phrase for Orlando, Patrick? Sure. Designer terrorism. Designer terrorism. Yep, it is. And, and it's a, a media ritual. This is a new a new term as well. I'm, I'm <laughs> going to be dropping. There was a number of media rituals that have been performed at every single mass shooting. The uh, the same obligatory press conferences on the hour uh, yeah. after the shooting. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. I can't believe I'm seeing this All stuff. All set so up cool. right from the start, just sort of thing, you know. Um, 
Nothing to see yes, here. Yes, it's Move sort along. of the targeting of the LGBT community uh, meant that uh, you know it was another polarization of American society. Do you know what I mean? And right in the, in the midst of a heated national election as well. Uh, so uh, Miss Clinton, Ms. Clinton, Mrs. Clinton didn't uh, waste any time. Uh, grabbing that bull by the horns and uh, really taking the stand uh, on behalf of the, it was a hate crime targeting the LGBT community. Find out the shooter's gay, of course, but uh, by that time the media had already established uh, the narrative, uh, and it's a runaway train at that point. So I don't know how many cliches turns, cliches I can use in one that, one paragraph. It, it turns out that his father was a, a candidate for president of Afghanistan and. It's got all sorts of uh, Washington contacts. Yeah, so, yeah. Just a coincidence, uh, though. Just yeah. a coincidence. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so, but, um, but you're right. The spin that was put on it from the outset was uh, hate crime. You know, as you say. Well, it, um, it, I do still encourage people go to 21st Century Wire and look at some of the uh, the articles we posted on Orlando shooting. Uh, the biggest one is casting crisis. Uh, that's by Sean Helton. That's kind of a breakthrough article, and no one's ever really looked at it in the way that uh, we've analyzed this. Uh, and also his other previous article. We've got another one coming out. I think it's tomorrow. Uh, very similar. But looking at this whole phenomenon of crisis actors at these events, uh, on these U.S. events, uh, I dare call them productions, but it seems like that's what they are a lot of the times. But uh, uh, but here's the thing. the The effect of it is becoming... Like literally the new, the news cycle now. Orlando is going to be yesterday's news. If not already, it's been going to be overtaken by something else. We are in a hyperactive digital age of news, information, events, and hyperactive uh, series of horrors and outrageous events, and so it just never stops. So the effect, the irony, Mike and, and Basil, is the effect of this. Is it's like the law of diminishing returns in terms of the impact yes, of any right. event. That's the that's strange right. thing about it. It is. Uh, yes, but but um, uh, so here's a question for you then, Pat. How much of that is because um, the narrative is picked apart so quickly by everybody on the internet that that they've got to move on as quickly as possible because <laughs> because there's so many holes in the story. Uh, I think that has a lot to do with it. I think that's an active. Definitely an active component in in in, uh, in looking at this. So that's part of the phenomenon. Mm-hmm. It's it it kind of the whole thing feeds on itself, and including the the, the dissipation of the story, it, it feeds on 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 the uh, sensationalism of it. It also creates the dissipation of mm-hmm. it, and people are just not impressed anymore, even with the mass shooting. So they keep up in the ante. Now it's fifty. The next one will be a hundred. Next one will be 150, and it'll be shouting Allah Akbar before. I heard him shouting Allah Akbar or Britain first or whatever it is. Uh, I heard them shouting something, and he, he pledged his li- – so we're meant to believe – I'm going to leave you with this because we're meant to believe that the shooter who was uh, – normally they're, they're tweeting while shooting. That was w- what happened in Garland, Texas, tweeting their allegiance to uh, al-Baghdadi. Ab- the leader of ISIS, while while gun in one hand, twittering in the other. This time, he called nine one one to pledge his allegiance to again Al Baghdadi, mm-hmm. who is a, really the equivalent of Mickey Mouse in ISIS terms, or the Yeti Man. No one's ever seen him, or uh, don't know, we don't know if he exists or not. But and calls nine one one to to get that on record. I pledge my allegiance to Al Baghdadi, and uh, here I go. I'm going to a nightclub. 
unbelievable. Everything about this event was unbelievable and improbable, if not impossible. And uh, we're just meant to swallow it hook, line, and sinker. Uh, incredible. But I, very few people that I've spoken to are swallowing it. Um, so if they actually look at the, the information, look at the facts, there's a lot of uh, seeds for doubt there. Basil, um, thank you so much again. Uh, and uh, take care. And I hope to see you, I hope, soon uh, in our travels. The Glastonbury Symposium. Ah, yes, that's an event coming up in July. That's a a, a great uh, symposium weekend event. Uh, I'll be speaking there alongside a number of great speakers. That's organized by the great Andy Thomas, uh, great event organizer and author himself. I will be organizing that event, I believe it's in uh, the end of July, I think around the 23rd, if I'm not mistaken, and 24th, 23rd, 24th. Uh, so we're going to go to Glastonbury, the wonderful, amazing world of bubble of reality bubble that is Glastonbury uh, for a couple of days to explore some strange and unusual topics but uh, we'll see you there <laughs> we'll see you there um, and, uh, uh, strange yeah. and unusual topics are the uh, standard fare in Glastonbury yep yep and I look forward to going to the uh, the speaking tree bookstore and seeing what I can find what tr- intellectual and uh, off-worldly treasures I'll find there in the used book section at the speaking tree always good but uh but thank you basil thank you vanessa Beely. if you're out there uh listening thank you for that segment fantastic show thank you mike robinson in studio here at the uk column and uh and thank you to everybody out there thank you to our listeners uh thank you to our team uh acr uh and thank you to our, our new members and if you want to get involved click on the banner uh, join 21wire.tv subscribe become a member help us get involved we've got some new stuff coming out this week i'm very excited about it but we got a lot of work to do so ladies and gentlemen that's it for this week another week we'll see what happens next week gosh we'll see what happens when i look at the computer we've been away for three hours who knows what could have happened a mass shooting an assassination i don't know what the world is coming it's a wicked game they're playing mike it's a wicked game. <laughs> That's all we, we can say. We lose our faith, basically. Absolutely not. Absolutely uh, not. We'll not lose our faith. But uh, take care, everybody. And uh, tune into 21st Century Wire. We're going to have some great stories this week. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen, signing out. I'm Patrick Henningsen, host of the Sunday Wire, and you are tuned into AlternateCurrentRadio.com.